Well, this is Pentecost Sunday, the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. The 11 remaining apostles, along with the women who were so important to Jesus' ministry, Jesus' mother Mary, Jesus' brothers, and dozens of others, settled into an upper room of a house to pray and to uh, deliberate uh, about what needed to be done. And for about nine days, they had a little to do but just pray and praise God and choose a successor to Judas. And it's likely that they are in this room when Acts uh, opens, or when Acts 2 opens. They had, uh, if you'll recall, Jesus rose from the dead, and he spent 40 days with his apostles, moving around and visited with them, talking with them, teaching them uh, all the things in the Old Testament that pointed to him. And so we can't just throw this, the Old Testament away. It's important to us. It all points to Jesus and we can learn from it. It is God's word. And so uh, he spent 40 days telling them about this stuff and teaching them and preparing them. And then he ascended into heaven. And so what they had to do after that was do what he told them to do. And so they went to Jerusalem, just as he told them to. And there they waited all together in that upper room. And it says they were of one accord as they waited. And it's amazing as you see what can happen when people are of one accord in the Lord. Uh, The church was born because of that. Now this word, all together, is from the Greek root word homo, which is related to the term homo uh, thamadon. That's the the word with its translated in one accord. And it literally uh, can mean together in a group, but spiritually it refers to many individuals working together harmoniously, united. They are all one spiritually, you see, just as Jesus prayed for them to be. Remember his high priestly prayer we looked at last week. We pray that they will all be one, or I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that the world may know that you sent me. That's what we looked at last week. And here we see what happens when they are all one. Now, Pentecost is derived from the Greek word for 50th. Uh, it falls seven weeks and one day, 50 days after the Sabbath that occurs during the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks because uh, that same period is seven weeks or a week of weeks. So that would be 49. And then come from it's that's uh, after Passover. So Pentecost is the next major feast for which Jews from all over the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem. 
And it's given in the Mosaic law in Leviticus, uh, the 23rd chapter, and also in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, that, that this should be observed. Now, the Feast of Weeks is the second of three feasts that include a first fruits offering. When people came to Jerusalem for Pentecost, they were supposed to bring their first grain offering, that offering of the, the first grain. Uh, and they were supposed to bring it as a free will offering. Now, this particular Pentecost, Jerusalem offered up a kind of a free will offering to God as 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ and became a part of the body of Christ. Now, Jesus told his followers to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and their patience was rewarded. Their obedience was rewarded. The word translated as spirit is the word pneuma, and it has a lot to do with breath and air. We see a lot about pneumatic tools today. The same word that's there uh, is uh, the, the word pneuma. Um, so uh, it refers to the breath or wind, and pneumatos agio means Holy Spirit. Uh, and now the Holy Spirit is a person. And we affirm that today in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit. It's an individual. He is an individual with personality. And uh, he's one of the three members of the Trinity. He's not just an attitude. So many people today seem to, they don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not like the Christmas spirit. Uh, he is the conduit. He is the go-between between our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and this world. All three of them worked together in creation. And all three of them have continued to work together all through our history. Uh, so he's the conduit of God's power and glory into this world and into our lives. In the Old Testament, he often appeared in some form of wind. Uh, to Job, he answered from a whirlwind. To Ezekiel, to him, he was a, a stormy wind. To Elijah, it's a gentle wind, a small voice in a gentle, gentle breeze. And then like here, he filled the room when Solomon dedicated his temple. So uh, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born again, he said, the wind blows where he wishes. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus did the work to reconcile us to God through his sacrifice on the cross. And that is what we remember this morning as we take Holy Communion. Now the Holy Spirit indwells those who believe and he equips them to live out the gospel and to help them spread the gospel. Years ago, 
the United Methodist Church had an evangelism campaign with the theme of uh, Catch the Spirit. Does that sound like a, 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 a contagious attitude? Catch the Spirit. Oh, okay. The main logo were the words, Catch the Spirit with a dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, descending onto that phrase. And the theme was basically kind of just uh, come and join in the fun of being a United Methodist. And uh, every time I saw it, I was just amazed at the mercy and the grace of God for not just immediately doing away with the United Methodist Church for treating the third person of the Trinity so flippantly. I mean, it was uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And uh, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the prophets of Baal were consumed. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It was that same power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, which brought the church into existence. And it is that same power that indwells you whenever you open your life up to the life that God wants to pour into you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you with this same powerful Holy Spirit. Uh, It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we will all be raised from the dead if the Lord doesn't come before we die. And uh, it's this same Holy Spirit that if he comes before we die, that he will change our bodies and give us our resurrection bodies or our spiritual bodies at the same time. Now, this just really troubled me that our denomination was just so far off when it came to the third person of the Holy Trinity, which we were supposed to be worshiping along with the Father and the Son. And so I wrote a really nice letter. And I'm, I, it was a nice letter, uh, very diplomatic, uh, covering this. And a couple of weeks later, I got a reply. And it turns out that my letter just really caused a stir in New York among the Methodist offices there and in Nashville. My letter was just passed around like a hot potato. Like, what do we do with this? You know what I mean? Uh, So uh, finally, a young man in Nashville was the one who wound up uh, drawing the short straw, I guess. And so he writes back, And he uh, says that he understood what I was talking about. And uh, the phrase catch the spirit might seem to be a little blasphemous, but you've got to look at it this way. He said, he said, just just consider it uh, like like in baseball. When somebody hits a high fly, what you have to do is uh, you have to get under where the ball is coming. You have to position yourself to receive the ball, to catch the ball when it comes to you. And, uh, you know, we're, we've been all told to receive the Holy Spirit. And so he said, and that's, that's, that's kind of how you have to look at 
catch the spirit. Position yourself so you can receive. That's not what their advertising was implicating at all. But I just wrote it off to the fact that there are a lot of people in our denomination who are scared to death of the Holy Spirit, who misunderstand the Holy Spirit, and who don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. But the thing that we need to all know is that the Holy Spirit is God. And if you're not wanting to do with anything with the Holy, want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit, you're not wanting to have anything to do with the point of contact, contact that God has made available to us since Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And uh, as I, uh, uh, anyway, you see, our leadership couldn't even get together on what the Holy Spirit was. Spiritual divisions have run deep in our denomination for many, many decades. And uh, this is what's brought us to the point where we are today. Uh, And so, uh, but on the day of Pentecost, we see what things should be like in the church. We see what church is really like. On the day of Pentecost, we see what can happen when the body of Christ is of one accord with who Jesus is, about God's word, and all of this stuff, and are willing to live their lives out of the what God wants us to, to do and how he wants us to do it in faith, trusting him all the way through, no matter how illogical and unproductive it may seem. Don't you know that there are a lot of relatives that were getting on to those disciples? Why aren't you out getting the crops ready? Why aren't you doing this? And yet they were there doing exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. May all of us be of one accord in wanting to do exactly what the Lord wants us to do when he wants us to do it. On that day, first of all, we see the Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. He equipped them with the ability to to teach the gospel in different languages. Uh, And uh, 2 Peter gives a public declaration using uh, the Old Testament prophecy to show that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. That's the second point. The third thing that happened on Pentecost, people believed they repent, they trust in Jesus, they trust he's going to forgive their sins, and they agree to be baptized as a public sign that they were now Jesus followers. And that quickly, the church before we began. And, uh, you know, some people have, uh, they, they look on disdain at megachurches, 3,000 people, that's a megachurch. The first church was a mega church, okay? It quickly split up into different local bodies, no doubt about it. But at that moment, they were of one accord and one body. You, as I considered during this past week, all of this of them being together, praying, fasting, waiting, going out and doing stuff, coming back and just waiting obediently for the Lord. I began to wonder, I wonder what they were praying. Have you ever thought about that? Did they just 
sit there just with blank minds? Or were they just there saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? You know, what were they praying? What was it? And then it hit me that these people were being obedient to the Lord. And uh, I thought, how did Jesus teach them to pray? Same way he taught us to pray. And so I started looking at the Lord's Prayer. And as I considered the framework that Jesus gave uh, for, uh, for prayer, it hit me. If we all prayed humbly and confidently for what Jesus told us to pray for, we couldn't help but be of one heart before him. It's all right there. Everything that we should be doing if we're going to be of one accord as the body of Christ. Look at it. It starts off, Our Father. And I never noticed this till this past week. I have You can be taught things all the way th- through your life. And uh, I was always taught that whenever he says, Our Father, he was telling us that, it, that it's not just uh, me, my four, and no more type prayer. It's not that you just pray it for me. Uh, that uh, that you're not just alone in praying, but we're joined together. And it's the whole church's prayer. But it dawned on me, wait, when Jesus taught this, it was him saying, pray this way, our Father. He includes himself in the hour. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever he says, our Father, He's including himself. And so you're never praying alone if Jesus is your Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You always have company. You've got Jesus and you've got the Holy Spirit and you are praying together with them to our Father. I never noticed that till this past week. So uh, uh, there's that. Now, Uh, Jesus gave us the name to call him. He said to call him our father. He, uh, he's the first one in scripture to use father as the name for God. And, uh, whatever he prayed, he would pray. He would start his father. I thank thee that. And so that's the way he addressed his father. And so, Basically, you know, people are always, how do we pray? Do we pray to the, to the Father? Do we pray to Jesus? And they're confused. You can pray to any of the three. They're all God. But the model that's giving here is praying to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. That's it. That's it. So uh, that's the scriptural uh, model that we see here. But he uh, he told us to pray our father. And if you don't think that he's including himself in there, listen to what he tells Mary as on, on the, the day of his resurrection. He says, uh, stop clinging to me for I've not descended or ascended to the father. But I go but, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father. You see, there it is. They're both together. My God and your God. So whenever we pray, we pray united as the body of Christ brought together 
by what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. And he prays with us. He's with us. We don't pray alone. We're a part of his family. He's our brother. So we pray to our father who's in heaven. God, the father is out of the fray. The Holy Spirit is right here with us in the mix. He's with it. He's in our hearts. He's with us. If, uh, if we have received him, he's right here with us, helping us, empowering us. And uh, so we, uh, whenever we pray to our Father who is in heaven, you know, there's peace in heaven because God rules supreme in heaven. Everything in heaven is going according to God's will while we're in tumult down here below. And so we pray to him, our father who's in heaven and who's where, who is where we want to go, where we desire to be away from all this stuff with him. We pray to him while he's there and we're here and we say, hallowed be thy name. May your name be above every name in my life and end the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Listen to this, on earth as it is in heaven. He's in heaven, we're here, it's crazy down here, and we're praying for him to extend his uh, peace to us here. And he does that through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then we're praying that it will spread through the whole world. And one of these days it will, but it's going to come whenever Jesus returns. And so whenever we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Uh, we're offering ourselves to the kingdom and we're inviting Jesus to come on home, come on back. So, and then give us this day, our daily bread. We trust him to meet our needs while we're here. He is our provider, not our employer. He's the one that gave you the job. He's a, we are the, he is our provider. All that we need comes from him. And then lead us not, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who forgive us. We acknowledge his mercy and we remind ourselves we're supposed to be people of mercy. Lead us not into temptation. It starts off, lead us. Let's not forget that. Lead us. And then you tell him how not to lead us. Don't lead us into temptation. You lead us the way that you want us to go. And we know that it's not into bad stuff. And then he goes on and says, but deliver us from evil. That's what we want. Now, let's face it, there are a lot of people that embrace evil. There are a lot of people who are evil. There are a lot of people who relish anything evil in their lives. And there are a lot of people who do it ignorantly, not even even knowing that it is evil. And so one of the things we're doing there is asking the Lord to help us to sort out what's good and bad and to follow him into the good. So we've got that. And then... For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is. And uh, we're in tumult. We're in chaos down here right now. But God is still on his throne. 
And all of this we're going through because there's going to be a great end. We've read the last chapter in the book and we know how it comes out. No more death, no more tears. Everything's going to be in line with God's will. And it's going to be fantastic. And all of this is our hope in the here and now. And so whenever we are, and if that is our hope, and if that is uh, uh, the way that we pray, and the attitude in which we pray, then we can't help but be of one accord. And as we live out of that, we will be more and more of one accord with the body of Christ every day. One of the big things that we see is that whenever you're willing to be of one accord with the Lord and with each other, he does mighty things. We're distracted so much right now by all the crazy stuff going on. I think the Lord's calling us to get our eyes off of that and on him, on him as the king, on him as our savior, as our provider. And remember, the darker it gets, the brighter your light shines. And so the more important it is for you to be his as we go through what we're going through. This is his call to us to be his. And we remember this morning what he has gone through to fix it so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. Our sins had to be washed away through the precious blood of Jesus. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, let's remember what he's done for us. And then let's resolve that we're going to do what we know he wants us to do for him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.